Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of me undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 8. The Potions Master. There, look. Where? Next to the tall kid with the red hair, wearing the glasses. Did you see his face? Did you see his scar? Whispers followed Harry from the moment he left his dormitory the next day. People queuing outside classrooms stood on tiptoe. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. My brothers and I watched a lot of really bad TV in the 80s, and a regular plot point, like when you didn't know what to do with the character, you killed them in a car crash. This was just something you did. You had pregnant women having to give birth in elevators, and you had people dying in car accidents. And for some reason, it just infected my psyche. I, I was obsessed with, specifically with my parents dying in a car crash. And what really started to weigh on me was whenever they would go out on a date night, which, you know, my parents went out probably once a week at night, I would freak out that they were going to die in a car accident when they left. 
And I would just get really mad and start skulking around the house and and I would ask them not to go. And um, so my mom would say to me, I promise we will be okay. I promise I'll see you in the morning. And I just remember getting so mad at her and I couldn't articulate it at the time, but I just knew it was a lie. It's not like people get into car accidents on purpose. You have no control over those things. And the futility of that promise really offended me. And I think what it is is whenever we feel the need to make a promise, it's a gesture of love, right? You're trying to address somebody else's vulnerability. But if you need to make a promise, it means that there's a chance that you can't keep it. And I think that that is the beautiful thing about promises is that we want to create that security for somebody else, for somebody we love. But that's also the sadness in promises is that you can't make those guarantees. And the sheer fact that you are making the promise is an acknowledgement of things that are out of your hands. I love that way of thinking about what a promise is, that it has both the beauty but also the sadness. So I'm excited to see where we find that kind of fullness of this theme of promises in the chapter this week. It's as if every promise should be, I promise I'll try my best. I promise I'll try my best to come home. I promise I'll try my best to be a good friend. We should hear the trying rather than the certainty when someone makes a promise. Yes, because that's what's beautiful about it. Yeah. So, Casper, I promise to beat you in the 30-second recap. I don't promise to try to beat you in the 30-second recap. I promise to actually beat you. That's a promise I'm going to keep. Ready, set, go. So in this chapter, Harry starts his classes, and he has a really boring class with Professor Binns, the history of magic, who's the only ghost that teaches. Um, He has Defense of the Dark Arts, which is a real disappointment, um, because Professor Quirrell seems afraid and smells of garlic. And then he has potions, um, and Snape is really mean to him. Malfoy's making fun of him. Um, He kind of doesn't know some of the stuff that he thinks he ought to have known, and Snape is really picking picking on him in a nasty way. But luckily, he gets a lovely message from Hagrid and goes to Hagrid's hut, and they have rock cakes. That was pretty good. I got in a little detail about rock cakes. <laughs> we know how you love your details. And I just love cake. That's mostly <laughs> what it is. Even an edible cake? Yeah. I'm like, I'll, I'll eat dry cake. Just put some yoga on it. It's really good. <laughs> okay. okay. Ready, Vanessa? I'm ready. Three, two, one, go. Harry is getting into the swing of things at Hogwarts. Um, He's famous. Everybody's recognizing him. He and Ron have really become good friends. They start going to classes together. McGonagall is really strict and exacting. Binns is really boring. Everybody is sort of smitten by how famous he is, except for Professor Snape, who hates Harry. He just hates him. And um, they take potions, Snape's class, with the Slytherins. And Malfoy and Snape are just really mean to him. And then he goes to Hagrid's with Ron and finds out that Gringotts was really robbed. Yes, you were totally like racing I at the end. I was worried at the end, but I got in the Gringotts thing and you didn't what get in the Gringotts oh, thing. <sighs> Sugar. I got my promises. Speaking of keeping promises, Casper, you're a more optimistic person than I am, so I feel like you most likely saw promise and promises in more places than I did. What promises do you see? Well, the first place that really struck me is literally on the first page of this chapter, where we learn about the 142 staircases at Hogwarts. There's wide ones, sweeping ones, narrow, rickety ones, and ones that take you to totally different places on a Friday. 
And I thought about how we've talked about the escalators in an earlier chapter coming out of Paddington Station and that that kind of represented a promise to a brighter future and a new journey. But these staircases are not to be trusted. You know, this physical space makes promises to you of familiarity. But at the same time, this entire building is not quite trustworthy. The promises it makes of where you're going to go are not always true. So it made me think, well, if it's not certainty that the castle is promising, what is it promising? Is it promising adventure? Is it promising surprise? Well, to some extent, isn't it promising to reward intimacy? Because eventually you'll figure out its secret passageways and you'll figure out that the stairs only lead you to that different place on Friday. And so it's going to reward loyalty. It's going to reward you paying attention to it. There there are patterns to all of the unreliabilities of these things. It just takes some care and time to figure them out. Right. Because like Fred and George have it completely figured out. I mean, in this chapter, they say, we heard of another secret passageway, but I bet you it's the one we already found. So there is this promise that if you can learn the castle, the castle is going to welcome you eventually just through knowledge. And I think that's why Hogwarts is such a powerful image of belonging for so many people. And I was reading about, you know, a child psychologist who was talking that half the children that he sees when asked to imagine a safe place come up with Hogwarts as a place for them to think of. And I think it's not about unreliability. It's about intimacy in exactly the way that you were saying, that it takes time and effort and rigor to get to know this castle and all of its secrets. And actually, we'll probably never know all of its secrets, and that's part of its charm. But the more you get to know it, the more at home you feel, because there is an intimacy to the place. I love that. That's interesting, the child psychologist point. Talk me through, how is Hogwarts different from other places in that way? Because every place rewards you for intimacy. But I I think that's exactly the point. I think it's not different. You know, I I think the magic of Hogwarts is, is to be found in all sorts of places if we give it the time and attention that these characters are giving this place. I, I think that's the promise of Hogwarts, that there's magic everywhere to be found. Right. The promise is in the fact that it's a metaphor. I love that. One of my proudest, I moved to New York when I was 22 or 23, And I felt like I had conquered New York City when throughout an entire day, I knew exactly which subway door to get onto in order for it to stop and drop me off at the the staircase that I wanted at the stop, eight stops from now, right? And there's just such a feeling of intimacy. You're like, I know New York. I know that at 59th Street, I want to be at the sixth door because I want to get off on the south. Like, that's so exciting. And... That is actually a promise that can be kept. I mean, the train shuts down sometimes and it isn't always reliable. But, you know, the sixth store on the one train is always going to drop you off at sort of the south end of 59th Street. And there's such comfort in that. Except on Fridays. Except on Fridays. Yeah. No. Okay, our resident optimist, where else did you see promises? You've convinced me about this first one. Convince me again. So it strikes me how Professor Flitwick, the charms professor, reacts to seeing Harry on his list of students. You know, he's taking the register. Hello, Hannah Abbott, blah, blah, blah. (gasps) Harry Potter. Woo! (laughs) You can just see this little man get, like, very excited. Fall off of his stack of books. Exactly. And, you know, it really made me think about how Harry represents really a promise to the wizarding world. You know, 
Voldemort attacked him. Voldemort disappeared. This this baby survived. The boy who lived. Um, he is a sort of a promise of overcoming evil or of safety and peace and security to the wizarding world. And for Professor Flitwick, who no doubt lost many friends and colleagues um, in that fight, Harry represents the better world to come. You know, literally the next generation, someone who has already conquered evil in some way. And so it made me think about not only what Harry represents the world, but the kind of weight that Harry has to carry. Obviously, it's the fame and being recognized in the corridor and the, you know, whispers all around him. But it's also this expectation of um, being good that is probably a difficult promise to embody. That promise of a child being symbolic of bad times being over reminds me of a story my father tells, which is he was born in 1948 and he went to high school in Israel. And I don't, I'm going to make up the numbers, but this is representative of what's true. So when he was in the ninth grade, there were, let's say, like 15 kids in the 12th grade, 15 kids in the 11th grade, 15 kids in the 10th grade, and then like 300 kids in his grade. And it was just this representation of like there were no children who came out of 1945, 1946, 1947. There weren't people to have kids post or People were still too sick. And there was, you know, the greater population of Israel worshipped these kids. They were healthy and in mass. And the way that at least my father and his friends dealt with it was that they were total thugs in these like really cute ways, right? Like, you know, my dad talks about how they would steal the air out of car tires to fill up their soccer balls and they would skip class and they would, I mean, like there was just so much pressure on them to be the promise of all of these people who had died that they completely rejected it. And my dad barely graduated from high school because of it. So... Harry is constantly rebellious. I mean, it's annoying to me. At the end of this chapter, he's like, I'm going to solve the Gringotts crime. And it's like, Harry, what are you doing? You're brand new. You're 11 years old, kid. (laughs) You're 11. People are on it, okay? But I wonder if some of this is just distraction from the fact that there's so much attention on him. And he's just trying to rebel a little bit and, like, just be a kid and solve mysteries. And that, that makes sense in terms of why he respects McGonagall so much, likes her and fears her, because she doesn't indulge him yet. That may change. <laughs> but at this point, you know, she's firm. She doesn't treat him any differently from anyone else. That makes him feel safe, I guess. That makes him feel like he's him rather than the promise of something much bigger, which he can't control. Yeah, he doesn't feel the need to rebel against McGonagall because there isn't all of this expectation. She doesn't have any real hope that Harry is going to be particularly good at transfiguration just because he's the boy who lived. She fully expects everybody to be terrible at it and is actually surprised when Hermione turns out to have some success. So let's talk about Hermione because in the potions class, this is like the ultimate introduction to her. You know, she she raises her hand. She knows the answer. She like really lifts it up into the air. At some point, she literally stands up. She gets out of her chair. She stands up, her hand in the air. I love her so much. This is like hello world meet Hermione Granger. (laughs) So what like what promise is she making here? Hermione is probably a girl who's always been told that she shows a lot of promise, right? Like this is a girl who's used to being promising and clearly feels a lot of pressure to live up to that. But I also think that 
she's been promised that certain things will be rewarded and that if a teacher asks a question, they want the answer. And I think that what we're seeing in this classroom is that it's taking her a really long time to figure out, poor Hermione, that what Snape is actually doing is bullying Harry. He doesn't actually want the answer. But she believes in the contract of a classroom. When a teacher asks a question, they want the answer from the student. She's She's like, like, maybe he didn't see me. Maybe maybe I should literally stand up right now. Yeah, she believes in this contractual agreement of education. Yeah, the only thing, God bless her, the only thing that occurs to her, the only reason why Snape wouldn't be calling on her is that he doesn't see her. So she's just trying to make herself be seen. Or is she like, listen, sexist structures of the patriarchy, Let me just make it so clear that you are not calling on me by standing up. Yes. For my rights. Yes. Oh, my God. Wait, let's read how ridiculous she is. Hold on. Let's find this quote. Okay. I got it. So this goes on and on like there's a sentence about Hermione and then it flips back and forth. But here's a bit about Hermione. Snape was still ignoring Hermione's quivering hand. What is the difference, Potter, between monkshood and wolfsbane? At this, Hermione stood up, her hands stretching toward the dungeon ceiling. I don't know, said Harry quietly. I think Hermione does, though. Why don't you try her? What do you make of the fact that she's reaching toward the dungeon ceiling? It's like she's trying to go as high as she can go in the, like, base lowness that Snape is offering her. And it's not just a glass ceiling, it's a dungeon ceiling. (laughs) (laughs) So Harry, for Harry Potter nerds, Harry is exactly my age. He was born in 1982. And so this is like the early 90s in a STEM class. Girls didn't get called on. This was a real thing. And I think Hermione is. It's Hermione Granger and the downfall of the patriarchy. I love, though, what you were saying before, that she is someone who has always been like she, because she has lived a very safe, happy life. You know, we don't get to know too much about her parents. They're dentists. They're supportive of her. They come to Diagonale to buy the things she needs. Um, she still lives in, in this world of a promise that has held for her and is confronting that ceiling, that dungeon ceiling, not just of misogyny and everything else, but of the cruelty of power and how Snape abuses his position as teacher and places his own vindictive deeply painful experience above his duty as a teacher. And so this is a difficult lesson for Hermione to learn that in this place, the promise it makes of education is one, you know, that comes with beauty and with sadness. These promises will be broken. Teachers will let her down. And I love that she's so innocent that throughout this scene, she literally doesn't get it. She does not understand the injustice that, as you said, the power dynamic that is at play here. In her world, promises have always been kept. And if she keeps being promising, the world is just going to keep rewarding her. This week, again, we're going to be practicing with the idea of sacred imagination. And so I'm going to read a passage to you, Casper, and to all of our listeners. And what I'm going to ask is that you pay attention to the details, to sights, sounds, tastes, smells, and feelings. Lose yourself in the story. And the question that I'm really going to ask today, which is a little bit different than last week, is for you to imagine what it would be like to be Harry in this story. So I'm going to read you this passage, Casper, and try to keep in mind what Harry is seeing and hearing and feeling. This is from The Potions Master, and this is 
in Snape's dungeon classroom, and this is his opening monologue to the students. You were here to learn the subtle science and exact art of potion making, he began. He spoke in barely more than a whisper, but they caught every word. Like Professor McGonagall, Snape had the gift of keeping a class silent without any effort. As there is little foolish wand-waving here, many of you will hardly believe this is magic. I don't expect you will really understand the beauty of the softly simmering cauldron with its shimmering fumes, the delicate power of liquids that creep through human veins, bewitching the mind, ensnaring the senses. I can teach you how to bottle fame, brew glory, even stopper death, if you aren't as big a bunch of dunderheads as I usually have to teach. So, Casper, tell me, what do you imagine it would feel like to be Harry in this room? I mean, what really struck me was just the way, if I was Harry, how intently I'd be watching Snape as he kind of paced around the room. And actually how much I respected him and how much I wanted to learn from him. Because, of course, at this point, there hasn't been any nastiness towards Harry. And although he looks a little frightening and the context is weird and it's dark and it's scary, I'm I'm just so excited. I want to learn it all. That is – I love that. That is so interesting because Snape is promising – being this amazing teacher with he can teach you everything and this betrayal that's about to happen wherein Snape just abuses Harry is all the more disappointing. I never thought of that. This is a very compelling opening to a class. Yeah, no wonder they're quiet. And you're so right. I mean, he's literally making a promise like I can teach you how to bottle fame and brew glory. Which sounds like Shakespeare, right? It's really beautiful writing and for some reason, it reminds me of something Iago would say, right? It's just, like, beautiful. I don't know how much I'm influenced by the film, which, of course, is such a visual experience. But the other things that I was seeing in the classroom are, you know, these kind of little bubbling liquids in test tubes and cauldrons and the kind of cloaks of all the students and imagining just the heaviness of this uniform, which I'm still getting used to, and... You know, it could be cold down there. It's in a dungeon. The main thing that I can feel just being there is feeling very small in this very big place and this very imposing teacher. And I mean, I think that the power dynamics are so emphasized. And I can imagine Harry looking around at his classmates. We know that Ron is next to him and he winks with Seamus when he's being cheeky later on and he can see Hermione when she's standing up. But also in the room are the Slytherins. You've got Draco and Crab and Goyle and Pansy Parkinson and the rest of them. Friggin' Pansy Parkinson. Friggin' Pansy Parkinson. And so that I wonder, you know, is the classroom divided? Are there any Slytherins and Gryffindor sitting next to each other? Are there any, like, illicit Romeo and Juliet friendships or romances starting up? Um, or is the classroom really divided I can just imagine the kind of feeling of competitiveness really being drawn out of Harry. You know, we know that he likes to win. We know that he likes to compete. Um, and this sense of, like, who's going to be the best at potions being something that he really wants to prove himself or at least beat the Slytherins in the classroom. You've completely sold me. He would really want to impress Snape. You know, when you walk into a classroom and 
you and I have a shared beloved professor, Professor Stephanie Paulsell, and I remember the first time I saw her lecture being like, I want to be her friend, right? Like you want to impress them. A great professor is so captivating and so beautiful in their brilliance that you desperately want to live up to what they want from you. I like this practice because I think it pushes us to not only treat the text as sacred, but to treat characters in and of themselves as sacred. And the whole point of all of this to me as a humanist chaplain is to learn how to treat fellow human beings as sacred. So I like this. Yeah, that's so true. It really makes me try to inhabit a different perspective, which is, which is so valuable. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Me Undies. I have lots of kinds of underwear in my drawer, but I have to tell you that my favorite kind of underwear is me undies. I love them so much, and Colette, my wife, is so jealous of them that when Mother's Day came up this year and she wanted a variety of different gifts for Mother's Day, one of the things she wanted was some me undies underwear and also their lounge pants. I have a pair of me undies lounge pants, and Colette deserves a super soft, super comfortable pair of Me Undies lounge pants. There are styles for everyone from all black classics to fun, expressive prints, and they come in sizes extra small to 4XL, guaranteeing a flattering cut for everybody. And like I said already, they have unmatched comfort. Their signature fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's also breathable, stretchy, and oh so comfy, making it ideal for all day wear. MeUndies are also responsibly sourced. They use sustainably sourced materials and work with partners that care for their workers. Get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash HPST. That's MeUndies.com slash HPST for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies. Comfort from the outside in. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason... You can't get back to Grimold Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Vanessa, it's time for blessings. Is it an exciting moment for you that you get to bless Hermione? Yes. 
It is. I am sitting here raising my hand. I You're literally standing up now. I'm literally standing up. I also have bushy hair. I would like to bless Hermione, and I would like to bless her innocence, her obliviousness to the social dynamic of what's happening, and just her firm belief that knowledge is going to solve any situation, and the urgency she feels in being a part of that dialogue. So I just, I want to bless her absolute naivete. She's 11. By the end of this, we're going to watch her march off to war. And this sweet little girl, I just you know want to kiss her forehead as she goes to sleep at night. So I would like to bless Hermione for her innocence. What about you, Casper? I'd like to bless Professor Flitwick. He He's a really integral part of the Hogwarts kind of scenery, the Hogwarts lineup. And faces some challenges, you know, because of his height, his high voice, because of the way students might make fun of him, the kind of physical eccentricities. But he is a master of charms and he is so passionate and dedicated to his teaching. And we never really hear a critique of his classroom or his style of teaching. It seems that he embodies so much of what is best about a teacher, someone who's passionate about their subject, someone who is willing to give their students a chance to shine. So I'm blessing Professor Flitwick and all the folks who are consumed by the joy of teaching. Amen. This week, again, we are lucky enough to have a beautiful voicemail to play for you all and have be our second segment of somebody calling in. And again, we want to use this opportunity to encourage all of you to record something on your phone and just email us at harrypottersacredtext at gmail.com and send us your thoughts about any episode. This recording is from Rosie Hosking in Roslindale, Massachusetts. Hello, Casper and Vanessa. I just finished listening to episode six and the entire episode speaks to my morning today. It's just incredible. I um, had to take my little daughter, three-month-old Carla, to the pediatrician for a sick appointment because there was something funky going on in her diapers that I needed checking out. And uh, my husband couldn't drive me. And so I had to make my own way. And I was terrified of getting to the pediatrician by myself because I don't drive and um, I didn't know what to do. My expectation of today was not good. I was not even sure how to get to the pediatrician and I was worried what I would find when I got there. And in the end, I decided that I would walk through the Arnold Arboretum to get to the pediatrician. So I left myself an hour and a half to go a mile and a half and it was the most beautiful day and there was sunshine there were daisies um and there were butterflies and i arrived at the pediatrician just supremely calm full of the joy and innocence of a walk in a garden with my little one and the pediatrician said everything was probably fine just keep an eye on her and we walked back again through the arboretum to get home and it's incredible how a physical action can change your mental state. And that was really what this episode had to say to me about the reverence of bowing your head to go into Hogwarts, the fake it till you make it, clearing your throat to declaim when you are not even sure whether what you say is going to work out, but you're going to do it 
with intention and with boldness and courage anyway and be optimistic with your body as well as with your mind and that is what this episode said to me so thank you so very much Rosie first of all I just want to say it's amazing that you paid that child to make those perfect cooing noises in the background that's a little over the top for a voicemail but we appreciate your attention to detail I'm making a joke because that made me tear up it's so beautiful and I think what I've really taken from you, Rosie, is that you're treating the world around you as sacred and allowing nature to speak to you. And that just reminds me that it's not just Harry Potter that we should be treating as a sacred text, but it's as much as much good and hope as we can pull from this world. We should and we can even in stressful situations. So thank you, Rosie, for that. This has been Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, produced by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Turkyle, and Vanessa Zoltan. We will see you next week when we read Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel, towards the theme of betrayal. If you have a sacred reading that you'd like to share with us, please send us a little voicemail over email to harrypottersacredtext at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. And if you can, leave us a review. We'd like to thank Rosie Hosking for her phone message and Bridget Goggin, our Kickstarter supporter for the week. Our music is by Ivan Pizzo and Nick Bull. We'd like to thank David Zoltan, Rebecca and Charlie Ledley, Lauren Taylor, Shane Bannon, and the gorgeous Rufus, the Harvard Communications Office, the Humanist Hub, and as always, our Harry Potter and the Sacred Text reading group. Thanks so much and see you next week. Bye-bye. One day more, another destiny, this never-ending road to Calvary. These men who seem to know my crime will surely come a second time. One day more, I did not live till today. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place. So you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.